Hope. It's a powerful thing. In a world where uncertainty often looms large, hope serves as a guiding light, a beacon that inspires us to persevere and believe in a better tomorrow. Whether you joined us today seeking inspiration, a dose of motivation, or simply a reminder that hope can fuel your greatest endeavor, today's guest will be your guide along that path. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast. Evolve your body, evolve your mind, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. And now, it's time to disrupt. Welcome back to the Evolve Podcast, where evolved men and women come to disrupt, connect, and get inspired. We're cultivating a strong, lean body, an educated mind, and an evolved, purpose-driven heart are the status, status symbols of choice. Today, guys, we are honored to be joined by Jen Coles. Jen has a passion for helping people find hope. She has battled with multiple sclerosis for over 13 years. And at one point, the disease left her unable to walk. During that time, she struggled with alcohol abuse. Turning her life around, however, Jen chose to live an alcohol-free life. She found a passion for fitness and lifestyle, and while doing so, she discovered that her purpose was found in all of that. Jen currently coaches breathwork for a living. Breathwork is an active meditation uh, to move stagnant energy in your body. Breathwork has helped Jen manage her stress and anxiety, which keeps her MS in remission. She's on a mission to help as many people as she can understand the healing power of her own breath. And with that, folks, we want to welcome you to this episode with Jen Coles, as always, joining me in his man cave in Oberlin, Ohio, is the most interesting man that I know, W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. You are on mute or something. I don't know what you're doing there, brother. I'm glad to be. Is that better? Is that better? <laughs> <laughs> I liked the hand movements that you had going on. And again, we are really fortunate to be joined by Jen Coles. Jen, thanks for joining us today. Oh, happy to be here. Thank you for having me. You bet. Well, your story, uh, at least what I know of it, is a powerful one. And we're grateful that you're here sharing it with our listeners today. Uh, really sorry to hear that uh, some of these challenges that you've had to go through. I mean, what a uh, challenging experience. Uh, and I can only imagine what that would look like and feel like. And I think it's important that we approach the conversation today with both sensitivity and empathy, not only for what you have been through, but uh, also for what some of our listeners may be struggling with as well. And so I appreciate you showing up and, and uh, you know, in your most authentic way. Um, can you share a little bit about your journey with MS and how it uh, initially impacted your life? Um, yeah, I can start from, do you want me to start when I was diagnosed or went like, where from my childhood? <laughs> I, wherever you feel like the starting point is, it's your story. Okay, well, I'll start from the childhood because I think that's really how it leads up to everything. Great. Uh, I am the only girl of three kids, and I have three brothers, and my childhood was really chaotic, really rough. Um, I had a mother who was really abusive. There was a lot of fighting in my home. So as a child, I was always in survival mode. I, you know, I could never relax. It was, it was always chaotic. I never really felt safe. 
ever to be in my body, to be around um, my family. And I was always just trying to escape. Um, didn't have a lot of tools growing up. My mother wasn't really one. She didn't have any tools herself. So how could she teach me tools, you know? Understanding now as I'm older, I can see that she was in a lot of her own suffering as I'm older and do my own healing and I can see that. Um, so the, the, my childhood, like I said, was just very chaotic. And then um, I also went into a marriage that was also chaotic. There was a lot of abuse in marriage, all kinds of abuse, and it was really, really hard. And um, during that time, I didn't know really how to deal with these life things that were being thrown at me. And I used um, alcohol as a coping skill. And at the time, I didn't really know that I was numbing myself out. At the time, you know, alcohol was fun. Right, right. Um, yeah, as a kid, you know, I didn't really have a voice or be able to use my voice. So alcohol kind of gave me a voice and it kind of like helped me be accepted by people or helped me to be seen. And at the time, you know, alcohol um, saved me until it didn't. So but, um, I used alcohol a lot to kind of just escape the reality that I was in, kind of run from it. Um, and it was, let's see, I, I was, um, I had two kids at this point, and I would say I was 25 years old. And one morning I had just woken up and there was a lot of numbness and tingling in the left side of my body. Uh, I, I thought I had a stroke, like I was very weak. Um, I had no idea what was going on. We did not have health insurance. And so we um, didn't go to the doctor immediately. We kind of just like, let it play its course to see what would happen. We did a lot of Google um, research. And I will say, if there's anything going on in your body, don't wait to go to the hospital. <laughs> I waited a long time. Um, but I did do some Google research and it was, it said, you know, MS was the first thing that popped up. And I was like, oh no, we don't have that. That's for old people. Mm. And I just remember, you know, I was so weak and my son was really little and I, um, the left side of my body was, I always had to hold him in my right arm, but I remember trying to hold laundry and I couldn't even like fold it over. I had to like throw my hand over and holding his bottle. I couldn't hold his bottle. It would like fall out of my hand. Wow. So I felt very, very defeated. Um, so it had been like a few months of this and I was just trying other things to figure it out, taking all these vitamins, trying things naturally to see what could help because we had no idea what was going on. Um, so I, I eventually had left um, the man that I was married to and it took me a long time to leave him because I really had nowhere to go. I ended up going back to my mom's house, which is where I was trying to avoid going back into the chaos, from one chaos to another. Um, I ended up going back to my mom's house. And um, at that point, I did get insurance and I did go to the hospital and they did all the tests. They did MRI. They did, um, you know, blood work. They did a spinal tap. They did in lab testing and it came back as multiple sclerosis. Wow. Um, when the doctors diagnose you with something like that and you are alone, it was the most terrifying thing that had happened to me. 
up to that point and I was in such denial I was like no like I didn't accept it it was too overwhelming for me to accept this and I just kind of spun out <laughs> I did not take care of myself I did not take care of my health I did not do any research I basically you know the doctors told me what could happen this is and this and I just ignored everything and really just ignored the whole disease like I didn't want it I didn't want to own it it wasn't my life I didn't it was, my life had already been so hard this was just another thing that I could not deal with I did not have the time or the you know emotions to deal with this right now and um so I I kind of spun out I um I did a lot of partying a lot of a lot of drinking which does not help help at all and actually right. you know really worse really worse and my um the MS it had been a few years the MS it progressed and it progressed and it progressed so badly I had about they call them relapses and that's where um your body goes into a flare-up and the flare-up can look you know anything like numbness and tingling weakness it can be in, anywhere in your body you can even get them in your eyes you can go um kind of blind from MS because lesions happen in your eyes, they happen in your brain, they happen in your spine. So relapses can be really, really bad. And they last anything, the doctors say anything um, beyond 90 days is permanent. So um, you can be in a relapse for 90 days and then kind of get better. So over the over this time, I had about, I think it was four relapses. And the first three, they were, they were kind of bad, but the, the fourth one was really bad. That's the one that took me. I just felt it. I felt it overnight again. The the numbness and the tingling creeping up my legs, and I was in denial. And I was like, no, this is not. I didn't go to the hospital for a few days, and I was like, oh, this is a relapse again. And it was like day five. I went in, and because I could not walk, the numbness had um, crept all the way up to my waist. I was so numb, I couldn't feel myself go to the bathroom. Um, when I finally went to the hospital, we did all the MRIs, they found more lesions on my spine. And when there's lesions on your spine, the doctor said that's like throwing a bomb into I-15. That just creates all the chaos in the body and the nervous system. And in the hospital, I was so weak, I could not walk. I had to use a wheelchair could not get around, could not fill myself with the bathroom. And I was in there for a while. Um, when I left the hospital, I um, came home and I was in a walker and in a cane for a long time. It took me a long time to start feeling my legs again. So um, I came home, I, um, I was really, really, really depressed. Really, I had no tools. I was really suicidal. And um, I just remember that night I wanted out of here. I wanted to be out. I didn't want to be here anymore. Um, I just didn't see an outlet anymore. So the doctor had sent me home with a bunch of sleeping pills. There were like 60 sleeping pills. And, and I made a plan, you know, that night I remember just writing a letter to my kids saying goodbye. Wow. I took, I took all those sleeping pills 
and I mixed it with alcohol. And and the next morning I woke up and nothing happened. I didn't, like I slept the normal amount of time. I didn't feel any different. Um, and I was like, okay, this is my sign. This is my sign to do something different. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. So, what a powerful wake up call. Yeah, Literally, right? Yeah. And that was, I think that was actually my rock bottom. <laughs> you know, there, there's a lot to unpack with your story that I think are, is helpful for our listeners. Um, you mentioned early on that in your, in the chaotic childhood that you just didn't feel safe and there were uh, constant opportunities to look for reasons to escape. You felt like you were in survival mode. Mm-hmm. Far too many people don't realize that these feelings and that this desire to escape this when we're in constant survival mode and we don't feel safe, especially as a child, they carry on into adult life in very powerful ways. Uh, Typically people who grow up in abusive settings are people who become very independent and not necessarily in good ways. They feel like they have to shoulder the burden of everything in life on their, uh, uh, you know, on them. They tend to, uh, like you said before, not go get help because they feel like they have to do it all on their own. And so that, and they're constantly in survival mode. And and these things are things that I, I'll talk to clients and they'll start telling a story where it's like, oh, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And they're in this survival mode and they, they don't make any connection that these were all links. These were all habits. These were all things that happened because of the trauma of the childhood. And they can all be unlearned, right? These are things that can be changed. These are things that can be adapted, but it's important that people realize that what you're talking about, so many people experience the exact same thing if they've grown up in in an unsafe environment. And then this idea of like, how can I escape? And alcohol is an easy way for us to escape. I mean, there's so many different escapes. As you have taken a different journey in life and you've moved in a different direction and you've realized that it's important for you to feel safe. It's important for you to sit in front of some of these challenges and sit with these challenges that led you on this breathwork journey, right? And so when you started to make the shift, what was it that led you towards breathwork? Well, that morning I had woken up and I just knew that I had to do something different what I was doing was not working for me. So I began to uh, heal from within. I found many different modalities and I was doing this all alone. I said, okay, what are these people that I admire doing? You know, I watched people, I'd ask people what has helped you get through this. Um, and so that morning I woke up and I wrote pages and pages of gratitude. Wow. And gratitude really shifts your mindset. You know, when we are living in a place of gratitude, we are focusing less on the negative. And I just was looking, I was thankful for everything that morning. I was thankful for the air. I was thankful for the ground. I was thankful for my car, you know, everything. And um, and then I started finding other things that would help. Like, I was so weak at this point. Um, but I went and I checked myself into rehab um, because I knew that I needed help to quit drinking. And I checked myself into rehab. And when I went to rehab, they taught me 
so they taught me so many basic things that I never was taught as a kid that changed my life. Like do a morning routine. I was like, what is that? Okay, I'll do a morning routine. Um, meditation. They taught, you know, they just taught me so many things that, like I said, that I, that changed my life. It was the little things consistently over time that really drastically changed. Yeah. Talk about the, the routines. I mean, routines are a pretty powerful thing. I, I remember being taught that early as a child, I was really fortunate with parents that, that taught me the power of routine and the power of ongoing learning and growth and uh, just some of those basic routines. But what I found over the years is that that was not extremely common. And I think it's even less common now uh, where parents are not teaching some of these basic skill sets. So aside from a morning routine and then the practice of meditation, what were some of the other basic life skills that you learned that were, uh, that became beneficial for your growth and transformation? Um, they taught, they taught me, you know, um, journaling, journaling, that was a big one. They taught me, you know, journal everything. Since then, I journal so much. I journal pages of pages of how I'm feeling. It is journaling. is just a way to release everything. So, yeah. you know, I'm able to journal, journal, um, they taught me how to find my voice again. And I went to therapy for the first time in my life there. And wow. it's something still use today therapy talk therapy is so amazing it is so helpful I'm, I'm such a huge believer in it and because it's helped me a lot and talk therapy is just it was the starting point of my healing journey as well um they taught me you know like how to own how to clean my side of the street how to own my portion of things not to be such a victim and to get out of that victim mentality because so many of us live in that victim mentality and so um, it did teach me that. So talk a little bit about the talk therapy. There's, I, I always wonder when people say, well, I don't need to go to therapy or I don't want to go to therapy. Why, do, why is there such a negative stigma still to this day? 2023, there is still this stigma to talk therapy. Why is that there? Wait, just before you, before you go on, I just, let me, I want to come back to that question because that's really important, but I want to back up just a little bit and ask you a particular question because it's kind of raging in my head and I want to get it out. Um, I'm in the process of reading the book, The Body Keeps Score. And what I want to know is, is have you investigated or is there a link from coming up in such a toxic household and that toxicity um, going unchecked so long in your body, is there a possibility that the MS could be triggered by it? Because the, you know, the body will wreak havoc on you. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you, when you don't, when you don't address, and sometimes as kids, kids are too young to address things. They, they have no idea what, what's going on. So they can live in flight or fight syndrome for years. Yeah. And that has to take a toll on the body. And I don't know if the medical community has ever investigated the things that they think, well, there's no connection, but possibly. So I'm just, that's the question I'm asking you. Is there a possibility that MS could have come out of all the things that you were holding in your body for years living in fight or flight syndrome? A hundred percent. I am a huge believer in that. In fact, when I teach, when I teach prep work, 
Um, it is something that I talk about in the beginning a lot. But the trauma in my life, the trauma in my has manifested as disease in my body. Right. I mean, think about when you're stressed. There, there are not a lot of people who talk about this. I think it's becoming more popular now because I'll tell you that my doctors personally were like, take this medication, you know, do this, do this. When I was diagnosed, my brain went somewhere else. It said immediately, there's got to be another way. There's, there's another way. Like, it's not, there's not just this medication, the mask fit for me. For me, I was like, there's another way. That's why I, was, I started my healing from within because trauma does live in the body. Yeah. I always talk about the body keeping the score. Your body is going to remember things that your mind forgets. That's why we get triggered and we're like, oh, what was that from? It could be something from your childhood, you know? And that trauma lives in the nervous system. So, yes, absolutely. That is something I truly believe in. Well, when you think about the, you know, what, how multiple uh, sclerosis affects the body, it's just this constant uh, change, constant hardening, you know, in the nervous system, right? And it's affecting everyone slightly different depending on how it manifests. And so trauma and stress to the nervous system affects everything, right? So, uh, yeah, I think, I think that's an important thing to recognize um, that, uh, you know, these things are, are connected. Uh, come back to the talk therapy. You mentioned how powerful and how important that has been for you. Why, why Jen, do you think there's such a stigma around it? Oh, yes. I, I think people are afraid of therapy i feel like people think there's something wrong with them if they're going to therapy yeah um and people even some people still today have shame around talking about their therapy i've even heard people hiding it from their spouses that they're going to therapy because of the shame around it me yeah. on the other hand i talk about therapy i mention it on my instagram i talk about you know on podcasts how much therapy has helped. You can get so much healing benefits from the talk therapy. Um, and that's a top-up approach, whereas breathwork is like a bottom-up approach getting into the body, which I think both are very, very helpful into your healing journey. But therapy was a way for me to get it all out. You know, they give me different perspectives on what, what I went through or why um, he really, I actually had a few therapists they just help me see things as um, from their point of view. You know, they don't know me, so they're they have a totally different opinion. But they it help me see things differently, or tell me you know why I'm behaving this way, or why what how things in my childhood have affected me into my adulthood. Because a lot of things in our childhood, like you said, show up in our adulthood, and a lot of people don't know that the reason we behave the way we do is because of our childhood. Yeah. We just think it's normal. And I think like you're talking about it, when we, when we put those things out there to another person who's a professional and they can look at it and they can, in a sense, become a mirror for us and say, Hey, that's, that's not normal. Like it's normal for you, but that's not a healthy, normal thing. And so we got to, we probably should work on that. Right. Um, I mean, when I was a kid, I used to take my underwear and put it on the outside of my pants because that's what Superman did. But then when I became an adult, <laughs> Um, if I still did that, I'd be a little bit weird, right? And far too many of us live with our underwear on the outside of our pants because we just grew up a certain way and we said, oh, that's normal. And other people are like, nah, that's not really normal. You probably should fix that. And I think that, um, you know, the talk therapy piece, I, I love what you said. 
it allows you to get it out there and it allows you to bounce it off of somebody else. I also like something else that you said where you said it's a top down and bottom up approach. I don't think that there's one way that works the same exactly for every single person. Why not approach it in a different way? You know, I, I can't imagine that there is a human being on earth that has owned a car for any significant period of time that would argue with the fact that they need to get their oil changed, that their tires need to have tread on them, that the alignment needs to be balanced, that the electrical system has to work in order to turn the car on, right? It's just crazy and ludicrous to think that we wouldn't need to maintain our car. The body and the mind are the same. Why would we not take a top-down, bottom-up, inside-out, outside-in type of approach? If it works to maintain the body, if it works to maintain the mind, why do we? Why would we just say, nope, uh, tires don't matter. I'm only changing the oil on my car, yeah. right? And but I- how do we explore that? I mean, we, that sounds like something we need to explore because if it's so obvious with your car, but it's not obvious with your internal system, then maybe there's a larger thing at play here. Yeah. It's a taboo. I mean, you, you know. know. It's shame. Uh-huh. It's taboo. At least from my perspective, I think there's a shame and a taboo because Jen, Jen said it best that people feel like that there is quote unquote something wrong with them. And yeah. and frankly, if we're practical, th- there might be, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember going to a, a counselor at one point because I couldn't figure out something in my mind of like, hey, how do I deal with this particular stress in my life? And so what was wrong with me was I couldn't figure it out. But I, part of what was wrong was that I was a guy that would shoulder the burden way too much on my own. And when he looked at me, he says, you know, that this is like, this is stuff that you can do this. And he gave me like two or three things. I was like, oh yeah. Okay. That's what's wrong with me. I'm going to fix that thing that's wrong with me. And then I'm going to move forward. But shame is something and taboo is something that is out there, I believe, that keeps people from doing the things that make that, uh, you know, keep us well-maintained. Yeah, I believe that. I believe shame and taboo are part of it, but I think there's a lot more. There's something else that's probably not getting investigated because mm. you know, if you look up and <clears throat> you think about over the last 25, 30 years, therapy has actually, to a degree, become normalized. But what is it when you can't talk about what's going on with you? When there's an actual issue of not, and you know, where you just can't talk about what's going on in you emotionally, psychologically, yeah. physically, yeah. you know. So I think there's probably a lot more to excavate or to mine in terms of this. You know, I think it's bigger than shame and taboo. I mean, that's just wow, for sure where I'm sitting. Yeah. yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. And Jen, I I know that one of the things that that you teach people with the breath work is how to tap into not just the breath, but the power that the breath has to open them up to become uh, more connected to their emotions, to become more connected to the deeper spiritual ethereal side. Can you talk a little bit about how the breath work is helping people to become more aware? Yeah. So on my healing journey, I found breath work and it changed my life in just one session. Um, the first session I did, it was a virtual session. I did it only for seven minutes, but um, I was bawling and I was like, why am I bawling? Mm. Um, you know, I had suppressed so many emotions and I didn't let myself cry. And that's from my childhood, you know, don't cry, don't cry. So that carried yeah. on in my adulthood. So um, when I did the breath work, I was crying, but not only was I crying, I felt amazing. It felt good to release that out. I felt so much energy. I felt so much peace and love for myself. Um, 
and I just felt good. I went to the gym that day, had an amazing workout, slept great. And I was like, what is this breathwork stuff? <laughs> and then I, the next session, it took 45 minutes, and I had this very psychedelic experience. I was like out of my body. I felt like, like I was on psychedelics. It was wild, and I just felt so good. I felt like I had just cleared out. I felt lighter. Like I just rebirthed myself. <laughs> yeah. And so with the breath, so we carry a lot of trauma in our nervous system. We carry a lot of unprocessed emotions. That trauma could be something small. It doesn't have to be this big trauma because some people are like, I don't think I have any trauma. But as a child, you know, it could have been something small, like your mom saying no to a particular sucker you didn't want or wanted, or your dad not showing up to one of your baseball games or something that's traumatic as a childhood. And we store that trauma in our nervous system. We store a lot of unprocessed emotions and that's all just energy. With the breath, we get into the nervous system and it gets in there and it closes those trauma loops and it brings um, the emotions to the surface. So you're not, re- you're not reliving the trauma you went through, you're actually just um, letting yourself, your body express those emotions that you had suppressed for years and years and years. And so that you can clear it out and so and feel better because breath work is very healing especially with trauma um a lot of people in my sessions after they do a breath work session say i have been in therapy for years and that felt like years of therapy in one 45 minute session wow able just to work through so much feel so much better and they leave they're just feeling like a new person and so you do with breath work you do some people do cry a lot especially if it's their first session and mm-hmm. it's people who are like, I've never, I haven't cried in years. I haven't felt my emotions in years. Um, a lot of times the men, you know, men that come to my classes, they don't allow themselves to feel because I think men have a, you know, they feel like they need to be strong or mm-hmm. they're not allowed to feel their emotions. You know, when their kids are told, you know, be tough, don't cry. They come to a breathwork session and they're bawling for 45 minutes to an hour and they're like, what in the, what's happening? Yeah. Well, I think there's, yeah, the, the men thing I want to tap on or tap into and then a, a few questions, follow-up questions for you. You know, the men thing, Miles and I have talked about this quite extensively, not just on the podcast, but together as, as friends that there, there's a masculinity that uh, I, I believe he and I agree with that there's a there's this idea that men you know in society should as you said only be strong right as if that's like the only emotion or the only way to show up to life and yet i believe and miles correct me if i'm wrong and on you know recapping some of our conversations over the years i believe the true masculinity is not just that i'm focused on being strong as a man strength is part of it but if i'm not a person that harkens back to this term gentleman, right? Gentleman was a gentle man. It's a person that has strength, but maybe at certain times chooses not to use strength and chooses to use empathy. It's a person that chooses what's appropriate from an emotional, um, 
openness to the resilience needed, whatever it is, right? It's that that's what true masculinity is in 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 my terms. It's the openness and the availability to whatever the moment calls for, whatever the moment needs. It's not just this completely stoic or I don't feel any emotions or I don't or I only lean into one thing of strength. And so I think that's an important piece that we recognize, and especially men start to wake up to that idea that feeling something deeply and maybe the spillover, uh, the expression of that emotion comes through tears or maybe that comes through, as you've mentioned before, more psychedelic type experience where you feel things in your mind and in your heart. I think that's a, that's a critical piece. Mm-hmm. Jen, I want to talk about the nervous system piece, and I know we're going a little bit ethereal here. I've always believed that our nervous system is directly tied to the, not just long-term memory, but the deepest part of our soul. When we think about the things that, when we say something just rings true, or we have an intuition, or we have a sense of something, we tend to feel it deeper. We feel it in a way that it's hard to describe. But there's not a person that I've ever talked to, coached, or you know, uh, consulted with that has that doesn't have this tapping into the deepest part of them. When you're doing breath work and you tap in to the deeper part of you, you're tapping into the nervous system, but you're also tapping into the thing that never changes, that deepest part of your soul that is always there. One thing that I've noticed as people go through a journey, and maybe breath work is part of that journey, maybe meditation, yoga, self-reflection, whatever. But as they go through a journey and they eventually come to their most evolved self or their more evolved self, they don't say, I became someone new. They say, I found who I am. I found my purpose. I came, I became aware of, and it was always there. They just had to remove things from it. And so I've always had this belief that as we tap into the nervous system, we're really just tapping into the spiritual side. And so it's almost like breath work becomes a tool. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, I believe with uh, meditation, it takes 40 minutes to access the subconscious mind. With breath work, it could take eight minutes. So we're getting into the subconscious mind, wow. which is where our behaviors are stored, our living beliefs, you know? And when we, when we unlock that, and we, we are able to get out of the mind and drop into the body, that is where the healing begins. That's where the transformations happen. That's where the breakthroughs, the clarity happens. Um, um, and so it's really such a powerful, quick thing that you can do with breath work. And when you are deep in a journey with breath work, it opens you up to your, like you said, to your potential. It opens you up to your purpose. You are able to really discover who you are. I mean, it was already in there, like you said, but it unlocks those parts of you that have been locked up. I like to think of everything in our body, the, the trapped energy as little knots. And when, when, breath, when we do the breath work and we get into the nervous system, it kind of softens those knots, mm. softens them more and more and more. And the more you do, the more you open up, the more you open up to receive, the more you're open up to find out, you know, who you are. People will have crystal clear answers come to them. The yeah. things they did not even know they needed the answers to. And they're just like, wow, what just happened to me? <laughs> what a beautiful way to describe it, right? Those knots become unraveled. We become strong and supple. One of the things I found in coaching um, athletes in particular over the years is 
my strongest athletes, the ones that were most responsive, most powerful, were the most supple athletes. You tap their muscles and the muscle is supple. It's responsive. Mm -hmm. Those were the athletes that could jump higher, run faster, develop strength better. And I think there's something to be said for an emotional resilience, an emotional, you, you use the word lighter, you feel lighter, right? And there's a suppleness to the soul when we become stronger. So absolutely. I love when you love talk it. about me like that. I love, absolutely love when you talk about me like that. I mean, well, you know, I was thinking about your Facebook <laughs> post that you did the other day where you were shooting the baskets and then you were, you were uh, punching the punching bag. You just, you look so beautiful and supple. <laughs> supple? Yes. You are strong and supple, Miles. Jen, you mentioned earlier that uh, part of talk therapy and breath work has helped you to own your side and not be a victim. Talk a little bit more about what you mean there. Well, um, my whole life, I was like, I'm such a victim. When I was deep in my suffering, um, I'm such a victim. Why is this happening to me? This is not fair. Poor me. Poor me. And living in that mindset is when I was the absolute sickest and my health was the absolute sickest I've ever been. Um, getting out of that mindset, it takes work. Healing is a long journey. It's a lifelong journey. When you are so, um, when you are one way for such a long time, it's really, you know, it takes work to change your pattern, patterns, to change your behaviors. Um, but like with therapy, you know, a good therapist, in my opinion, will call you out. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I love being called out. I don't like when you, I don't, I need you to call me out. That's how I learn. That's how I grow. That's how I look at myself and be like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And that's what I need. Um, so good therapists will call you out. So telling my stories to him, you know, he'd be like, wait a second, you know, what was your part in this? What did you do? You know, let's, let's unpack that. And it, you know, sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow when you have to look at yourself and be like, shoot. <laughs> You know, yeah, but at maybe the same I did. Time, maybe I did cause that. At the same time, one of the things that I, I do really get annoyed about is we've gotten to this place where the word victim, the people who don't like looking at other people's victimization or this, the whole idea of stop being a victim. And first of all, you have to be a victim of something. I think the teaching yep. should be you can't live in your victimization. Yeah. yeah, I agree. But I you agree. have to be a victim to just because something has happened to you. Right. So, you know, it would it would be like looking at your 10 year old self and saying and somebody saying, don't be a victim. Yeah. And yet you've been nothing but a victim. You didn't victimize yourself. Right. So I, I think the reframing of the word Vic, we need to reframe the word victim is see it. Allow yourself to be because something has happened to you. Yeah. What yeah, we don't want is people to live in that victimization. Right. And there's right. a dichotomy there that I think it's important that people understand. The dichotomy is that as you become a more awake, a more evolved human, you tend to be much right. more open. You become mm -hmm. a more you, you become more vulnerable. The the soft underbelly of, of who you are becomes uh, uh, more visible, which also puts you out there to be lied to, victimized. You know, th those things happen. Now, ideally, we become more wise along the way. You know, I think about like business dealings that I've had. 
I'm a very open uh, person when it comes to my business dealings. I'm very straightforward about what I think. And, uh, you know, here's my perspective. And I'll, I'll lay all the cards out on the table. I'm probably a horrible negotiator in, in that term because I want people to know exactly where I'm at. And mm. so if you, you might not like it, but at least you know you can trust where because I'm always going to be completely transparent. Well, that has got me into situations where I've had people because they know exactly how I think and, and uh, where, where my perspective is in the business deal. I've had people lie to me. I've had people uh, cheat still like all of that kind of stuff. And I look at it and say, well, but that wasn't my choice. And so what's my alternative. If I do it a different way, I could be more protective, which I don't want to live in that space. I can be wise and say, okay, now I know what, what I can trust in this person that they will take advantage of it. And so I choose not to do business with people like that in the future. But I think that's the dichotomy that we have to become aware of is that while we become more open and vulnerable, and whether it's through breath work, talk therapy, uh, training our bodies to become more lean and fit, like whatever it is, as we become more evolved, we become more open. And so hopefully we become more wise along the way. But I agree, Miles. I don't think it's about don't be a victim. What I think it is, is don't live in a victim mindset. And, right. you know, Jen, you mentioned something about how gratitude shifted your mindset. How has gratitude pulled you from victim mindset? Um, well, I just, you know, every morning I still do it. I write three things I'm grateful for. Mm. Um, then, you know, I did suffer with a lot of depression and I, I, I did live in victim. I hadn't, I, I didn't know any other way. It was like, so I lived there for years. Yeah. Um, the gratitude just, when you, even when you're sitting and writing to the gratitude and you are having like a bad day, it changes, it can change how you feel because you are recognizing these positive things and it, it's going to change that in your brain you're recognizing these positive things and you just you, know, you start to feel better when you live in a place of gratitude it's hard to have the emotion of um anxiety or suffering yeah so gratitude and practicing it consistently a lot it's just it was the consistency is key um to what has what helped me you know just can really start to shift things and even still I focus more on gratitude now than years ago when I focused on everything that was going on in my life. So it's amazing what that does because you have to become aware yeah. before you can become grateful. You have to observe before you can be grateful, right? Yeah. And even today when there's something like, if I'm having, if something went off in that day, I'll even go, okay, but I have this and this and this, or this is going really good. So I'm becoming more aware, even shifting it quicker today. You mentioned before that one of the things that you learned um, as you were going through the, the challenges was that you were taught some of the basics. That comes back to just a skill set, right? As you learn certain skills and then you add others into it, that develops a set of skills that you're able to take into different aspects of life. And it uh, improves your ability to jump in to gratitude or whatever it is in those moments. Because let's be clear, life is never going to become super easy for every person out there. And I think that 
for some reason, there's this aspiration that, okay, one day I'm going to be at this place where I have all the money in the world and I can lay on the beach and I can never worry about anything. Well, that's not what life is about. I don't think that should be the goal of life, right? That's not the aspiration. I believe the aspiration should be, how do I develop my skills so that I have a skill set that develops my ability so that when challenge comes, as it always will, I have the ability to jump into gratitude quickly. I have the ability to jump into breath work and change my reality, right? Yeah. All reality is negotiable, yeah. but it's, do you have the skills to negotiate that reality so that it becomes exactly what you want? Right. That's the key. Right, it's those skills, those tools in my tool belt. And you know, it's like breath work, it's just another tool in my tool belt that I can access. When life does get lifey, what, you know, what tools can I use to help me get through this? Because we're going to have those challenges. I remember going through one challenge and having another one. I'm like, okay, this is the last challenge that I need. I've already gone through way too much. I don't need any more. But looking back, they were hard. They were really hard and they were defeating, but they made me and molded me into who I am today. They led me to my purpose. They helped me help other people. And so I have a lot of gratitude for those challenges um, because they've taught me something. They've given me a lot of growth. And I know I'm going to have more challenges. And I know I'll have more tools to help me get through those. Yeah. Uh, what a, why what a great is it way that, of um, Why is it that when people, <clears throat> um, certain types of people go through um, similar challenges to you, uh, other types of challenges, they they it's almost as if they do a 180 and it's like they realize something about humanity and then they say i want to help i know I, I, great question I've, I've seen that i've heard that with a lot of people whatever it is they go through they want to go back and it's almost like pay it forward or give back because it's like something in them clicks where they realize there might be a lot of people who are going through what i'm going through and i, I want to help and how would you address that because i see that often well, I love that. So actually, when I was in rehab, before I got to rehab, I I literally thought I was the only one in the whole world that was going through the challenges that I went through. Nobody else was experiencing things like me that, you know, the, the things in my family, no one was. I felt so alone. I felt very isolated, very alone. When I went to rehab and the girls were sharing their stories, I was like, I'm not alone. Like, <laughs> Yeah. I'm not yeah. alone anymore. They're going through stuff too. Some of them are going through way worse things than I've gone through. But yeah. it just felt like a, a re relief to to feel that. And then, you know, the next morning after I tried to end my life, that very thought came into my head. Okay, I'm supposed to be here. And I was just like, I'm supposed to, my story, my mess is supposed to be my message. I need to turn this around and try to help people because because I felt so alone. I don't want other people to feel alone, especially if they're going through like a disease like MS and um, if they're drinking a lot, but there is hope out there. Um, and so that's why I was like, and it's taken, it's taken some time. There was a lot of shame around my story. It's taken a lot, um, some time for me to share it. Once I shared it, I, I can't tell you the people that have come to me. Thank you for sharing that. I've gone through similar things. Thank you. And, you know, just hearing that, okay, someone needs to hear your mess. You need to hear your message. Share it. And, it, you know, it just feels, it feels good to help. And you're absolutely right. There are so many people who have gone through the trenches and dragged through the mud. 
come out the other side and they are people who are helping others. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's I funny. Actually... I, I used to hear all the time that when, when I did the boxing at Lifetime, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times. And, and you know, ninety percent of my clients were boxing with women. And and once I would teach them how to strike hard and properly, so they didn't get hurt and they unleash their energy, I can't tell you how many tears um, at the end of a session. Um, and and just and and women would say things like, e- e- I, "I just never expressed emotion like that yeah. in terms of just." being pent up with all this emotion and the ability to just strike ties tears all the time, all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we want to share, I think it's something innate in this. I I do think that there is a altruistic uh, aspect to every human being. We want to share. Uh, I also read recently from uh, uh, someone who theorized on that, that same question of why is that the case? And, and there's a couple of other uh, interesting points that, number one, we do it from a survival mechanism, because if we can raise our hand and say, hey, I went through this stuff, anybody else going through it? Then we help to survive as a, as a, uh, a human race. But there's also a tribal connection. We tend to get, we, we crave empathy. Outside of um, our physical needs, probably the most dominant emotional need that a human being has is the need to be understood. And I think that once we share, we now have the ability to connect with other people who have been through similar challenges, and we can share in that empathy. Um, or as Jen uh, put it, I'm gonna, I, I wrote this down, I'm keeping this, I'm going to steal it from you, Jen. When life gets lifey. <laughs> that is probably one of the coolest statements I think uh, we've heard on the podcast in a while. I, I say that one a lot. Yeah, that is it. That is a beautiful one. I will reference you every time I steal that, but I am absolutely stealing that. Jen, a few final questions as we uh, come towards the tail end of the uh, episode here. At, at this point, at this, if we were to take a snapshot of this point in your life, what are you most proud of? I can honestly sit here and tell you that I am the happiest I've ever been in my 38 years of living. And that's nice. so so good. I'm creating the life I want. Um, I am most proud of looking back at all the suffering I went through and hitting rock bottom and, you know, having my two kids feed her mom in that low, low place. I'm most proud of pulling myself out and showing up for my kids like the mother they deserve. Um, because, you know, having your kids tell you they're proud of you is something that I can't even describe. It just is, it feels so, so good. Beautiful way to describe it. I love that. As you have evolved, what is something that you used to believe that you no longer do? Um, I used to, I used to believe that we came to this earth to work and to die. (laughs) (laughs) I really like this is it. This is it. Uh, That that's perfect. That that's so interesting that you said that. (laughs) That's what I believed. I was like, this is, this is it. You know, I believed that for a long time. And, um, as I began my healing journey, I was like, there is so much more to life. Life is cool this is great like i'm just it's like an onion i'm just peeling back the layers 
more and more discovering more and more of not only about myself but other humans and just living life it just feels good to live what a beautiful perspective for somebody that might be listening to this episode and they don't feel like life is beautiful to live what's the first step that you would uh, challenge them to do that's a good question that's a great question yeah i've been there i would say for the first step for me is this one was hard but it was um finding people that inspired me and cutting out i've cut out a lot of friends that i used to hang out with that kept me in that mindset but Mm. finding people who inspired me it actually opened up my eyes to life you know i watched other people you know i watched what they were going through they motivated me their energy was good finding just finding those people i think it's huge pretty powerful i it's interesting you say that you know i think um coincidence right just truly means things coincide with each other right now i believe coincidence when things coincide with each other multiple times in our life then we need to start to pay attention because we're focused on something you you are probably the third or fourth person that has said something similar to that in my life and one of the things that i've personally been uh frustrated with at times over the past few months is trying to keep relationships and friendships going where I'm thinking, why am I putting so much work and effort into this relationship or this friendship when there is nothing coming back? There's no reciprocation. It's a take, take, take. And I think I, I'm, I'm done chasing those types of things. There are several people that are inspiring in my life, and my energy is only going to you know, be invested into those. So I love that. I would echo to our listeners what you just said, that when you find people who are inspiring in your life and you put time and effort into those relationships, life tends to get much, much better. Well, Jen Coles, what an amazing conversation. Uh, You have had a beautiful transformation, a beautiful journey up to this point. And uh, we can't thank you enough for coming onto the podcast and sharing your story, your knowledge, your wisdom with people. If people want to learn more about you, about breath work, they want to connect with you, figure out how do they progress and evolve into a higher version of themselves, where do they need to go? My website's almost done. So for right now, people can find me on Instagram. I'm under that breathwork girl, Jen Cole, Jen one n And um, if you're in Utah, I host a lot of in-person events, um, or I can do I can even do Zoom one-on-one couples groups. Um, people can hire me for retreats, workshops, private events, and all that. But um, I'm also hopefully soon in the future, hopefully this year, I'm creating a course. And the course is um, going to be around people who have, you know, autoimmune diseases and stuff like that, like I did. Um, And it's, of course, what has helped me get Mm. through it. So that people, and I'm trying to build a community so people don't feel alone like I did. So that's in the works and that's to to come soon. So I'm excited for that one. But yeah, for right now, just Instagram. 
Great. So we will link that in our show notes as well uh, so people can find you and then get continuing updates as you, you continue to grow, evolve, and get more information out there. Well, Jen Coles, what an amazing conversation. I want to thank you again for coming on today. And W. Miles, it's always great to see you. Thank you for being here. As Yeah, the, thank you, Jen Coles. It was good for us. It was good to see you. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that whatever you went through, you come through and turned it around and decided to help other people. It's absolutely stunning. It, it is beautiful and, uh, and what an amazing transformation. So on that note, folks, it is time for us to wrap up another episode of the Evolve podcast. Remember that it does take time and consistency to evolve, but first you have to disrupt. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Evolve podcast. Follow us on your favorite podcast app. And if you haven't done so, please give us a rating. As an independent podcast, it really helps us get more reach. This podcast is part of our mission to help millions of people evolve into the best versions of themselves. Please check out our coaching services at evolve-cast.com or pick up some of our Evolve merch. Until next time, keep evolving.